Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our first Agri In Focus podcast to support the July edition of our commodity update. Uh, I'm joined today by Michael Whitehead, Madeline Swan, and Elena Barrett as we step through a range of key agri commodities today. It's clearly interesting times, and uh, as we find our way through the COVID environment, we're seeing global economies start to emerge from the induced coma of COVID-19 lockdowns. The full impact of the pandemic and the global growth conditions is yet to be really felt and to become clear. But, but what is clear is that Australian and global agricultural industries are moving into a new phase. Low global growth, trade tensions and the like, uh, as opposed to the uninterrupted supply chains and geopolitical environment that we've seen in recent times, seems to be the new world order. And there will be likely impact from these changing conditions on ultimate consumer demand and future commodity prices. So today we're going to start talking about the wheat and grains market and, you know, it's just looking like such a better winter crop season for Australia with rain in so much of the East Coast grain producing region compared to what we've been seeing in the last few years. Um, a really welcome change, but there's still concern over prices. We've seen the barley tariff issue with China create a level of anxiety within our production base and industry here in Australia. And we continue to see strong global production of grains putting downward pressure on prices. Here to talk more about grains today is Michael Whitehead. Michael, what are your thoughts about the upcoming season, particularly in the light of that tariff situation and global production outlook? Thanks, Mark. The upcoming season is an interesting one because it has great positives and interesting challenges built into it as well. For many grain farmers around Australia, there has been a welcome amount of rain so far and the forecast for rain is looking good. And therefore, all signs for the upcoming season, and surely there could be other things changing in future, is that it's looking like a very good one at the moment. If you look at some of the latest forecasts, wheat production is currently forecast in Australia at about a 23 million tonne season. That's up 50% on last year's drought-impacted crop. If we look at it in terms of wheat exports forecast for the coming year, that's looking like being up about 80% on last season. So they are big increases. They are based on, as we said, the outlook for a good season. And that would mean good volumes for grain producers around Australia. What this, however, does mean is downward pressure on prices. And grain prices over the last few months, and particularly through the COVID period, have been reasonably volatile. When we look back at the start of COVID, grain prices, Australian and global grain prices, one of the first things that everybody looked at, because normally in a crisis of this kind, they go up. But they didn't at the time. The world had enough grain in storage. They actually went down because there was a feeling that there may be reduced demand. And there was also a feeling that some of the Russian export bans may create some issues there. However, as things went along, we saw grain prices domestically and globally go up as signs of COVID in Europe meant that people were hoarding some of their grain. And it also meant that in Asia, demand for noodles and demand for bread would go up. So that pushed things up again. The Australian dollar also helped push things up. What are we seeing right now? Once again, grains on a downward trend. Why is this happening? 
because weather conditions in the northern hemisphere haven't turned out to be as bad as some had forecast. And that looming big Australian crop on the horizon is giving grain buyers and grain importers around the world confidence that there will be more than enough grain to go around going forward. We saw this last time Australia had a bumper crop going forward. So what are we seeing? Outlook for a good season, downward pressure on prices. So uh, all, all in all, uh, marginally a positive for grain producers out there if they can take off a good crop. Your second point, Mark, in terms of the tariffs that China's put on barley, we'll continue to see this as a rolling issue because we await new news to come out on this, uh, when the tariffs might change, how long they might, uh, might stay. At the moment for barley producers, absolutely, that has been a cause for concern. New markets will be found for barley, but it's just a matter of when they are found and the impact that has on this year's crop, what it is likely to mean next year in Australia, a lot less barley likely to go into the ground. Michael, we don't often get to talk about the impact of oil prices and the biofuel market on grains prices, but with oil prices dropping to that unprecedented level just a short time ago, what impact do you think that could have on demand for grains? In terms of oil price impact on grain demand, it comes through in a number of factors. One of those is in shipping. And if it makes shipping cheaper, it may really give an advantage to some exporters who have less distance to go or who subsidise their exports. It may, in a way, give some kind of advantage to Australia's Black Sea region competitors, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, the Russians particularly who subsidise some of their shipping, and oil prices may make that even cheaper. Therefore, it pulls that price factor out of their grain exports and may make them more attractive in some of our markets as well. In terms of in other ways that could impact grain demand, the impact of oil prices has been more so on things like sugar having an indirect impact through ethanol uh, and therefore reducing ethanol usage, putting more sugar onto the world market, uh, reducing that. Otherwise, in grains, it's unlikely to have a major impact overall, but certainly transport would be the major one. Well, cattle prices... Uh are performing really strongly, you'd have to say, and with return to season, really big restocker demand coming through loud and clear. Uh, this is raising issues, though. I think in a market like this and the lead time to sale, producers are buying in at really high prices, which carries some risk. And there's also the question, I guess, of the processes and the ultimate consumer appetite for beef at these prices. Is that flowing through and is it likely to flow through whilst our restocked prices are running so hot? Elena Barrett, can you step us through what we can expect in the cattle industry? Thanks very much, Mark. I think to start off with and to sum up cattle markets in Australia at the moment, what we could say is that we're seeing a real decoupling of domestic prices and the domestic market from perhaps what's happening globally around the world with our cattle uh, competitors, our competing exporters and our consumers. So what's driving that and, and what are the key points? Well, the first thing, as you touched on, and rightly so, is the herd rebuild and demand for cattle in Australia driven, of course, by the recovery from the drought seasons and the grass in front of producers. We're seeing opportunities to not only buy breeding stock back in, but to trade and to spend a longer time with those trade cattle to get them back to heavier weights and potentially see a higher profit margin. 
So those couple of things combined, um, recently, as last week, we've seen the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator hit over 770 cents. This is a new record and it, and it peaks the March prices of earlier this year, which we weren't sure um, if we were going to see that again. The other thing we've seen through a pandemic and, and a period where we might have otherwise expected prices to soften has been really strong export demand for Australian beef and for a lower amount of Australian beef given supply is so tight and a really strong export price. So we've seen the value of our exports up by over 20% for the, for the year through to May. So why has this decoupling occurred or, or what's sort of driving the, the local price versus what's happening internationally? Obviously drought and restock activity, as I mentioned, driving that local demand. The other major factor and one to really understand for our beef producers is the uh, what's been playing out in America. So the US, obviously a key export market for Australian beef, but also a key competitor for Australian beef in key markets like Japan and South Korea. We've seen US production capacity come back significantly, slaughter rates down significantly on the back of their lockdown measures. They just physically were not able to process cattle. That therefore created some inequality in the domestic prices in America versus export prices where it was more economic to to sell that beef locally and domestically on the US market than it was to get it to those export markets such as Japan and South Korea. So that created opportunity for Australian beef. That's where our exports increased to both those markets over recent periods and really helped to drive those prices and keep them strong through the pandemic. Another factor playing out internationally is, and a bit of an unknown, is the South American market. Again, impacted greatly and continuing to be impacted by shutdowns uh, related to COVID, so processing delays, reduced ability to export product. Remembering that this is competitively priced product to Australian beef that's currently unable to reach its end markets in the same quantities that it would have otherwise. So there's opportunity there for Australian beef over the pandemic period and, and whilst ever that shutdown or um, interruption continues to occur. Going forward, the US, we've seen recover very quickly. So even just the data from the last couple of weeks suggests that US production is back to reasonably normal levels and the period of the lockdown has meant there's a backlog of US cattle in the system. So suggestions... Um, from Meat and Livestock Australia this week that there could be surplus of US beef available for export. That does potentially put some downside risk into the Australian cattle price, which has been so well held up by, by exports over recent periods. But the question then remains as to what's going to have the stronger driving force. Is it going to be the domestic conditions or is it going to be those export markets? I did just want to touch a little bit on cattle on feed as well. We've seen those numbers come back in the March quarter um, reasonably strongly from the December quarter of last year. We're seeing feedlotters under increasing demand to compete with local um, restockers, so they're needing to pay more for those cattle coming into reef to, to the feedlot. They're getting their feed uh, costs obviously a bit cheaper than it would have been through the drought. However, they've also got a reduction in finished and high-value grain-fed markets as certain markets and, and economic conditions play out and cause a bit less money in the system for those really high-value, high-marbled cuts. So the feedlot industry is one to watch, and again, and demonstrates that bit of a decoupling between what's happening internationally and what's happening here domestically in Australia. Going forward for the producers, however, you know, big decisions to make around trading cattle, as you mentioned, Mark, earlier, at 
um, high prices. Do you buy in and, and punt that in three months' time the, the market's still going to be there? When you've got growth in front of you, it's a difficult decision to, to make because um, obviously you need that cash flow to drive productivity. Alana, we've seen as a result of COVID-19 that demand for beefs moved towards the lower value cuts. Do you think that we can expect this trend to continue? Thanks, Michael. We certainly did, particularly through the panic buying periods of March when no one could buy mints from the shelves of their local supermarkets. And we've also seen a really strong return to the local butcher in sales in that avenue, really increasing through the period of the pandemic. Will it continue? It's probably a difficult question to answer. I think as consumers become educated to cooking with a lower value cut and all of the versatility that that can bring, there's certainly room for these markets to continue to be strong. It also might depend a little bit on the total carcass value that our processors can expect from their finished animals. And that will, in most cases, be reliant on the higher value cuts, the really premium beef cuts, achieving a premium in the export markets and keeping those lower value cuts exactly that, lower lower value. Uh, so should we see the price of those increase with the price of a total carcass, I think that might turn the consumer off somewhat. But as long as it remains economic and cheap, and particularly through the winter months, uh, as the comfort food season is upon us, we would hope that those cuts and sales of those cuts can remain strong. Well, sale yard sheep prices have also held firm, um, although not rebounding with the same strength as cattle, but we're sitting on par pretty much with 2019 levels. This story has been and continues to be dominated by the low national flock number. You would really think this will be the continuing feature and platform for price going forward in sheep meat and with seasons being anything near right, things are looking particularly profitable for sheep producers. But, Madeline, while prices are strong, there are still some risks on the horizon, if you don't mind stepping through your take of the industry just now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and like mentioned, the, the story in sheep is a bit of a similar story to that with cattle in that it's all about coming out of the drought and producers looking to restock and rebuild the national flock as grass continues to take hold after some rain. Recent figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics have showed that the national flock level is now the lowest in over a century. And the NLA says as a result they, they're expecting sheep slaughter levels to plummet really by 30% and lamb slaughter to decline by about 5%. So that's really going to constrict supply for the consumer and also numbers of sheep on the ground. As Mark mentioned, prices really have held quite firm over the COVID-19 period. And while MLA wasn't reporting its full sale yard set of statistics, they were producing some statistics which showed some solid activity in the market, particularly in restocker levels and restocker demand. So, and processor lambs, they haven't quite recovered in the same with the same strength as restockers, but they're still doing strongly. The National Trade Lamb Indicator resumed a few weeks ago and now we're sitting about at 800 cents a kilogram, which is strong and it's not near a high 900 cents that we had um, a short time ago, but historically speaking, 870 odd cents is doing it is a really, really strong price. The similar story to that is that yardings and slaughter rates have also dropped significantly. Lamb yardings are currently sitting about 52% below the previous three-year average and sheep yardings are down 58%. Sheep yardings were down most in Victoria and New South Wales, while lamb yardings hardly fell at all in Victoria and Tasmania. Similarly, the slaughter rates have also dropped. 
something like that. And what that means looking forward is that whilst the producers are retaining sheep on farm to either fatten up or to retain for future breeding, and whilst that should maintain some level of supply going forward, it does introduce a bit of a risk as the, the flock gets a bit older quicker as sheep aren't sold through. Similarly with uh, the cattle market, the Australian lamb prices is also facing a bit of competition from international markets which have fallen off during the COVID-19 pandemic while Australian prices haven't. Primarily that competition with New Zealand where their flock is heavily focused on sheep meat breeds. And while Australia and New Zealand really do dominate the sheep meat export market, there is still some concern that places like China will start to go elsewhere because Australian lamb and sheep prices are too high. I wouldn't expect a huge amount of impact from that, but it is something to keep an eye on as other nations try and build their, build their flocks and make a footprint in the international market. Thanks very much, Maddie. And um, one of the greatest concerns for sheep exports at the moment has been around trade to China. It's obviously attracted a fair bit of media attention, but it seems that it's actually trade to the Middle East and the US, which has taken the greatest downturn over the period of COVID. Are you able to comment a bit more on that? Yeah, that's right. I know a lot of producers and a lot of exporters were concerned that the Chinese government would follow a similar line that they did with beef and start implementing some non-tariff measures to restrict exports. Um, however, to date, the latest data that's up to April, actually land imports to, to China have increased by about 6%. So they're actually performing very strongly. And I would say that with China, it doesn't tend to be that they ever import trade restrictions unless they have a very strong line of supply from another nation. Now, as I said, with New Zealand and Australia uh, really dominating world trade in sheep meat, it's unlikely that China's going to be able to cut ties with Australian lamb entirely. But yes, it is the Middle East and the US that are feeling the greatest downturn in exports. And really, and actually to date, Australian exports have fallen about 18% during the COVID time. So they have had some significant results. So that's primarily due to lockdowns in the US, which have meant changing consumer demand, primarily around restaurants. And then in the Middle East, it's got a lot to do with the oil price, which is highly correlated with consumer demand and consumer spending. So there was to watch in the future. So our livestock industries continue along really strongly. Uh, wool has been a spectacular commodity really up until recent times, um, but it has met some issues over the last few months and perhaps longer now. Michael Whitehead, whether wool prices have been strongly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic or is there some underlying demand fundamentals in play or supply chain issues at play that might make for a, a longer period of lower prices than we've been seeing in wool in recent times. I wonder what your take on the industry is just now. Thanks, Mark. It's an interesting collision and combination of a number of factors happening to the wool industry at the same time. And undoubtedly, it is in a challenging period right now. However, wool growers are very good at looking optimistically to the future. So in the middle of all these challenges, there are definitely some things that you can look at as a silver lining or as a, some sunshine on the horizon. What are some of the things we're seeing impact the wool prices where they are at the moment? And it's interesting to look at where those wool prices are right now. Around this time last year, wool prices were knocking on the door, the Eastern Market Indicator, of almost 1,900 cents per kilo. 
and they're down now heading towards 1,100 cents a kilo. So that's certainly a major drop for so many wool producers. If we look at uh, some of the things that have impacted this, absolutely it's that consumer demand and the impact of the forecast consumer demand and reduced consumer demand because of recessionary impacts coming from Europe, coming from China and coming from Australia too. And that recessionary impact is having an impact on sales and impact on importers and particularly into China as well. What are we seeing as a result of this? It has been interesting over the last few months to see a lot of Australian wool producers holding their wool back from sale, keeping it in warehouses, keeping it in the sheds. But now, particularly over the last few weeks, some looking to take advantage and get their wool out to sale because they're thinking that the prices we're seeing right now may be going down even further. So to grab the opportunity before prices go down. These are some of the impacts that, that we're seeing happening at the moment. What is uh, the impact of some of the other factors out there? If you look at the Australian dollar versus the US dollar price of wool, the price rises in the US dollar and the strengthening US dollar have meant that some of the, the falls haven't been as bad as they may look on the surface, but still obviously a reduction. What are some of the things that we might see going forward? Well, Maddie's talked about just how strong the sheep meat market is out there. And undoubtedly, a lot of producers are going to turn more from wool-producing sheep to the meat side of things. That's likely to see a reduction in supply out there. And the industry's often thought that the reduction in current and forecast supply is a greater driver of price and demand. So that may be something which stalls price falls or starts to put upward pressure on prices out there going forward into the second half of the year and beyond there. So these are some of the factors that are happening there. Certainly big price falls. There have been some week-to-week -week slight price increases, but uh, gradually on a downward trend. A lot of people holding back, waiting to see what will happen, waiting to work out how long they'll have to keep their, their wall back as well. And next year, 2021, could certainly be a year where we see much lower wool production in Australia if this trend continues as people seek to take advantage of those uh, ongoing high sheep meat prices. Michael, one of those hidden upsides to those lower prices is that it might encourage some new manufacturers to enter into the market. Are you hearing much around activity from new entrants? Maddie, this is definitely a point of discussion in the industry and one of those bright outlooks, one of those optimistic outlooks. We look at fibre competition between wool versus cotton versus some of the artificial fibres, and often some of that will be based on price. And if wool has gone down this much and wool is able to pass on those price falls through the supply chain to some of the manufacturers, then it very much increases its chances of being picked up by new manufacturers, both the international ones and the domestic ones. It is up to players in the supply chain to make the most of this opportunity to maximise this realisation that some of those price falls are there, but they are certainly big enough to mean that it could be picked up by new manufacturers, new products, new opportunities there. And if these can be tapped into, then they can be held for the longer term. So it's a possibility and it's an opportunity, but the industry needs to make sure that they capitalise on this. All right. Well, in the cotton industry, we've seen a lack of water really being a constraint to total production and we're now seeing a return in places to water availability that should drive a much better looking season next year. But the COVID-19 pandemic 
is introducing a range of concerns around the demand for cotton apparel generally as the global economic outlook really drops away. Elena, what are your thoughts on the prospects of cotton? Thanks very much, Mark. You're absolutely right in that there are some um, concerns around, you know, what is going to be the overarching global demand for cotton this year or looking forward to that 2021 season for the Australian producers. We know that cotton demand globally and cotton price is really highly correlated to GDP in the nations that import the most cotton. And so it's really going to be a watch and wait for the remainder of the year as to how those economies recover as to getting a real ability to forecast what their demand for cotton might be. But locally, though, how exciting that we can actually sit here and look towards a season where we've got full moisture profiles um, relatively full storages and coming off the back of some great summer rain in particularly some of our northern cotton-producing regions. So ABEZ are suggesting that this year the Australian will, will plant around 150,000 hectares of cotton. That's more than double last year's production of around 60,000 hectares of, of cotton planted. So, of course, it's still well back from uh, just a few years ago in 2017-18 where we planted over 500,000 hectares. So... That just signals the slow pace of recovery, you know, the high capital uh, cost of, of cotton and the preparation required and just the level of moisture that we've needed to see in the ground before some of those plantings can come back. But so while we're keeping that Australian production um, is on the way up, we are not going to be the only ones globally with a bit more cotton around us this year. And of course, we're a relatively small player on the global market. So we expect that trade in cotton this year is going to increase by as much as 7% for the 2021 season. It's really going to be driven by those powerhouse producers of Brazil, the US and India. They are tipped to maintain most of the export market share as well as uh, their share of increased production. And whilst that trade percent is expected to go up, it's not expected to exceed the consumption of cotton. So what that means is that we'll see an increase in ending stocks, particularly the cotton sitting in India and China. And it's those ending stocks that can really cause some volatility and uncertainty around cotton pricing. Now, historically, the Chinese cotton stockpile is the one that has had the most impact on Australian cotton prices. It's more relevant given that we've got superior quality characteristics compared to that Indian product and, generally speaking, Australian cotton will demand a premium and not be um, as easily compared or, equal, you know, compared one-on-one to that Indian product in export market. So Chinese stockpile is, is one to watch and it does uh, have great impact on the Australian price. Also, uh, the exchange rate will continue to impact Aussie prices. We've seen some benefit through the pandemic period where there were was a the ability for producers to capture, you know, forward prices of around that $535 to $540 per bale for the upcoming season. We've seen that come back a little bit in recent times as, as the Australian dollar has recovered and also, you know, driven by that uncertainty in the market. So at present, a relatively flat outlook for cotton prices, an increase in world stocks forecast and not going to particularly help the outlook for prices locally. But look, at least there's water in the ground, at least costs should be back and um, we should see decent production year for 2021.
Alana, in terms of bright spots on the horizon for the cotton industry, what are we seeing in areas such as sustainability and efficiency of production for the industry? We're seeing some really great things, Michael. Thanks for the question. So we know that Australian cotton, and this is the new data out of Cotton Australia, is now grown using as much as 48% less water than it was uh, around 30 years ago. And that's, that's a significant saving and efficiency gain. We also know that it's grown on 34% land, so it's pointing to a great increase in yield and productivity. The big one, perhaps, for our markets and our the exportable quality characteristics of Australian cotton is 97% less insecticide than 30 years ago. So the cotton industry has come an awfully long way, and it's those sustainability credentials that will continue to underpin the premium that we demand in our export market and our place and our market share against those powerhouse producers that I mentioned, like Brazil and India and the US. Great, great things for the cotton industry, and that's something that they should be particularly proud of. Well, I think the, the dairy industry was always going to be interesting coming into a new July 2020 season under the regulatory environment, but COVID-19 has really impacted um, at a consumer demand and also a supply chain level as a uh, route to market for a range of commodities, both locally and internationally, was, was impacted. But we've seen some really fantastic, I think, opening prices uh, come into play. I think they're at a level which where farmers with access to water and a good season should remain in profitable territory, even though the prices are down on the on the prior year. But for processes, it's an interesting one, I think, by the look of it, between the competition for a limited amount of milk available here in Australia and making sure that they can be profitable going to the global market at, the, at today's prices. Um, it's a bit of a tightrope by the look of it. Madeline, what do you make of things for dairy this year? That's right. If you think about dairy over the past few months, it really was one of those commodities that got fairly hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic in early March when it really hit. And those lockdowns came at a time when the EU and the US were really starting to hit their straps and produce strongly. Both were producing about 5% up on what they produced uh, the previous year. So when those lockdowns came and restaurants and food service outlets shut, it really did hit hard, particularly in the US and the EU. And that saw butter prices and cheese prices and all those staple dairy products of, of restaurants fall really, really heavily. So, for instance, those cheddar prices, they're now down around 20% on February if we look at the global dairy trade auction. So it really was a big impact out of COVID, but we're seeing in the, the global in industry recover quite strongly since then. So the past few global dairy trade auctions um, have seen a rise of 2% and 1% in prices uh, respectively. So we're now trading just under $3,000 a megaton uh, as an average. So that's quite a decent increase. But having said that, it's still at fairly historical lows. So it's the lowest level since about 2019 and before that since late 2016. But within that, while it is cheddar and butter that's had the biggest impacts, uh, milk powders have shown some fairly good strength. We've seen the most recent GDT auction showing skin milk powder prices grow by about 3.1% and whole milk grow by about 2.2%. So they're now trading quite well and even skin milk powder is higher than in February. So that's looking good. For prices going forward, 
there is actually a good story uh, for Australian producers as that global outlook for production is slowing slowly. It had, up until a few weeks ago, looked like a very solid and strong season, so putting a bit of downward pressure on prices. But since then, the EU's milk supply has dropped behind the past few years comparatively, so that uh, due to some really uh, hot, dry summer conditions across Europe. New Zealand is actually also experiencing some dry conditions, so whilst their production is likely to be up, on last year, it's not going to be as high as we're looking otherwise. And the US production has also slowed slightly due to um, farm conditions. Sorry, <laughs> due to weather conditions. As Mark mentioned, we've had our opening prices come in. First of June, the new first um, opening prices to come in under the new Dairy Code of Conduct. And those prices, you'd have to say, are relatively strong and relatively good. Whilst they're not at the highs of last year, where the processors really were strongly bidding for supply between each other, they've all come in around $6.40 mark per kilo of milk solids. And I think you can see the strong competition between processors when Fonterra came in with an opening price of just over $6 and they quickly changed that up to six forty, where they realised where the rest of the market was sitting. So that's giving you a clear indication of where, where the process is sitting and really maintaining supply is a really key part of their model going forward because there's unfilled processing capacity in some plants. That's a loss to their bottom line. Uh, having said that, they are treading a fine line with a lower global price, a, a riskier global outlook, and they're clearly hedging their bets going forward. So there is, on the upside of that, some good outlook for step-ups if the global outlook or the global industry improves. But to date, it's really probably for producers more about um, increasing production domestically. So that's actually picking up pace with production here in April. The most recent figures, they're actually up 6.4% on April the previous year. Having said that, we're down year on year, we're still down 1.2%. And we're following the familiar story with dairy production across Australia in that Tasmania and Victoria are up. Queensland, unfortunately, is down. Um, having said that, there are plenty of risks going forward, including that change in consumer demand as we go into recession times globally, both globally and domestically. So we're not really sure what that's going to mean for manufactured milk products in particular going forward, but also to another extent to, for the milk powders. Thanks, Maddie. Recently, um, governments in particular, those in the US and EU, took some really unusual steps to protect their domestic dairy producers. Is that likely to impact the global outlook going forward, do you think? Yeah, especially for skim milk powder and the EU. The EU came in with some interesting funding directed at enabling farmers to retain produce on site, oh, farmers and processors, pardon, retain on site specifically so that they could stockpile skim milk powder for between two and six months. And while that was a good thing for skim milk powder at the time, and, and it certainly uh, maintained some support for prices, it does mean that there will be an un determined quantity of powder coming onto the market in that two to six months time period, which might actually put a downward downward pressure on prices. Similarly, the US came in with a different sort of intervention. They, they were more focused on financial assistance directly to, to pharma. And while that's probably not really going to have a huge impact on the global market going forward, um, it does skew the market and skew supply slightly. It's been really interesting times in the rice industry, you know, I guess in my 25-odd years uh, 
where we've seen crops of around a million tonnes come through when there's been water around. And without water, of course, uh, we're back producing way less than 100,000 or even 50,000 tonnes. But after a series of droughts, we're seeing a bit of water come back into system. So it will be really interesting to see how producers respond to that with a big global production backdrop. Uh, Elena, what do we think we'll see in the rice industry this season? Absolutely. Hats off to the rice producers for getting through uh, what has been a particularly difficult year. Uh, I mean, not to downplay it, but rice is a, a relatively small or niche industry and a tonnish tonnage basis in Australia, um, producing on average around a half a million tonnes a year. But as you rightly noted, there's big annual fluctuations in that production from uh, anything over a million tonnes to the very small uh, growing season of last year where only 4,000 hectares of rice were estimated to have been planted. So that creates challenges for our producers who are obviously trying to manage and balance agronomic conditions and requirements with water availability and cost, but also challenges for our rice marketers and exporters as they look to manage their supply chain into key markets. It's probably worth noting that on average, Australia exports around 300,000 tonnes of production. So, you know, we are a very heavily reliant export industry for rice and exports really are the key to profitability through our rice production system. Recent um, pandemic period and the panic buying that we saw throughout supermarkets happens not just in Australia but all over the world and that actually represented an opportunity for rice and for rice traders with the price really skyrocket, skyrocketing rather through uh, the month of April. Now, that came at a pretty inopportune time for Australian exporters because there just wasn't much rice in the system and unfortunately, uh, export orders had to be filled in the end through imports from, from other nations being balanced out with what Australia had on stockpile. And that price is not just driven, I should say, by the the stockpiling impact, or so rather the panic buying impact. It was also driven by what was happening in some of the world's key rice trading companies. And using Vietnam as, as the major example, we saw some strict export quotas being imposed through the months of April due to concern about domestic supply and making sure that there was enough going to be in the system there for their domestic consumers, really causing prices to spike. But what we've seen is those prices really plateau and come off uh, from April through to June as those export quotas were lifted in full during May. Vietnam is the world's third largest rice exporter, so you can understand why that has such a major impact on it, on prices globally. And while those, while those rice prices sorry, were so out of whack um, with other grain prices over the same period, uh, we do expect that they're going to be um, now perhaps on a bit of a a downward or neutral trend over the year to come. Now, one of the things driving that is a record production year. We're expecting globally rice production to be up by around 8 million tonnes to a total crop of over 500 million tonnes. That does put the Australian crop into perspective. Now, it's mostly going to be driven by increased plantings and improved yields through some big producing countries like China, Thailand and other parts of Southeast Asia. And we do expect also that the major importing nation will continue to be the Philippines, who, um, whilst a reasonably big producer, have a great import need and won't be um, producing so much this year, given some local climatic conditions that have been experienced over there. So we're 
We're anticipating, not unlike other grains, that consumption and trade um, will not outpace production and that we're going to be left with a higher ending stock at the end of the season. That's ahead of us. And so world stocks being up is, of course, going to put pressure on pricing and contribute to that downward and neutral trend in rice in Australia. Alana, rice production in Australia has always been heavily reliant on the cost and availability of irrigation water, which has meant that Australia is heavily reliant on imports. Do you think that this is likely to continue or do you see Australia becoming self-sufficient in rice production? In short, Michael, I would say no. It's probably unlikely that we will see Australia become self-sufficient in rice uh, anytime soon. The premium that we receive for our value-added rice products throughout the world really is um, the underpinning factor to, to profitability through the rice supply chain for everyone from our exporters through to our producers, particularly as increasing cost of production and water costs and competition with other crops start to play out. We're going to need those high export prices and those premium markets to, to really keep that rice production system along. Finally, today we're looking at meat processing and COVID-19 has really highlighted the strength and flexibility of the Australian meat processing sector. But with high prices continuing to dominate the outlook, processors will be feeling the pressure on margins. And whilst this is a very complex and much uh, discussed topic, uh, ANZ Insights will soon be releasing a broader piece of work as we get right into the meat of this sector of industry. Um, but, Michael, for now, what's your quick take on the outlook for the meat processing sector? Thanks, Mark. Absolutely. As you say, the COVID period, the food panic period, showed that Australia's meat processing sector was one of the world's leaders. We saw the equivalent sectors in the US and in Brazil very much hit by COVID-related issues, and we saw shutdowns there leading to major ripples through the supply chain. Those shutdowns were because of industrial relations issues, because of COVID impacts on their workplace floors and others. For Australia's meat processing sector, it continued to operate almost uninterrupted and it worked to be seen as an essential service. It worked to really work with some of the cross-border issues and it made sure that apart from some brief issues right at the start, that meat continued to get to Australian consumers right around the country, right through that period of concern. The Australian meat processing industry continues to evolve. We've seen it like so many of the other industries go from one with a large number of players with a smaller output to the other direction, a smaller number of plants uh, with quite an increased output as well. What have been some of the things that uh, we've seen as challenges at recent times? As you say, the price of cattle really has presented a challenge to Australia's meat processing sector. We are seeing, as everybody has talked about in the past, Australian cattle prices hit those record levels because of restockers and because of herd rebuilding. What this means for Australia's meat processing sector is it is much harder in a period of time like this to pass on the price of high cattle down the supply chain to the retailers and the consumers. And we've seen, and it's not unpredicted, meat processors pull back from the markets for the time being, use their reserves of meat to, to feed out into the market to see where prices will go from here. That's been one of the big impacts, and that will continue to play itself out as that margin is unable to be passed down the track. 
Is there an upside to this? Well, arguably there is in a way for some meat processors because while they've been running at full capacity over the past few months for both the domestic and the export markets, with some of the shutdowns or slowdowns we're seeing, that does give some of the processors a chance to undertake their repairs their upgrades, their technological upgrades for their operations. It means that some foregone revenue in the short term may come back as increased efficiencies and lower costs in the longer term. Um, Michael, there's still some concerns around meat exports given China's recent ban on exports from four Australian processing plants. Do you see those trade dynamics starting to improve anytime soon? Thanks, Alana. Two quick things to look at in terms of your question. One is the China trade dynamics and two is the overall trade dynamics. In terms of the China ones, undoubtedly this one is still playing itself out. We saw a similar situation two or three years ago where there were some meat labelling issues. It was rectified in about 10 weeks and we will see where this process goes from here when the labelling is rectified and how the demand from China goes. In terms of the overall trade dynamics, what we are seeing at the moment is certainly some competition and some concerns out there in the market. Competition from the US, competition from South American players as they build up into Australia's other markets as well. That's something definitely happening there. But one of the positives that's happening is that demand has continued to be strong and this reflects very positively on Australia's meat processing sector working with the wider industry to diversify its markets. There are 100 meat markets out there in the world, different countries that the processors are exporting to. So overall, the China one has yet to play out. But despite what's happening with COVID and despite the competition, the processes are still seeing relatively strong exports for the time being. Okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed our July edition of ANZ In Focus Commodity Updates. Uh, thanks so much to Michael Whitehead, Elena Barrett, and Madeline Swan. I think we can agree that the times are a really genuinely interesting. We have a lot of reason to be confident going forward, but there is a cautionary note on the COVID impacts as they relate to uh, ultimate consumption and demand-driven markets. So look forward to talking with you all again in our next edition of Commodity Insights with ANZ. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark.